You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Today's episode is partly in response to a listener comment, interestingly enough. We, we do get feedback from our listeners, and we greatly appreciate that. And if you have a comment or a suggestion for the type of show that you would like to hear, you can contact us at dupodcast at ducks.org. And that's where one of our comments came from. It was basically a comment that said, hey, enjoy what you're doing, but I would like to hear a lot more or some more about waterfowl issues, waterfowl conservation in the Atlantic Flyway. And admittedly, we have focused certainly this summer on a lot of what's happening in the Central Flyway, Mississippi Flyway, and Pacific Flyway, a lot of that geared around the drought that has unfolded on the prairies and then, of course, out west. And we're trying to do a better job kind of balancing our coverage across the four flyways. There's a lot of material to cover, that's for sure. But this was a, a useful comment and a very timely comment because this is this episode today is an attempt to try to bring some more coverage from the Atlantic Flyway. And given that we're here in September in the midst of the early teal season, we wanted to have this episode for a couple of purposes. One is to get an update on the opening teal weekend in Florida. Florida, but also use this as just an opportunity to introduce our listeners to some of the important waterfowl habitats in the state of Florida and and just kind of get people thinking about some of these areas that we've not really covered yet. So joining me today to help with all of those things is Mark McBride with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Mark, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here to talk about Florida. Kind of flies under the radar. We actually do have some, some tremendous duck hunting, variety of species, you know, certainly species you can't shoot about anywhere else. So yeah, this is this is great. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with you introducing yourself to the audience at what position do you hold for the, the commission and a little about your, I guess, personal background as well. Okay. Yeah. So I'm the assistant coordinator for the waterfowl and small game management program here in Florida. Uh, the bulk of our work obviously with, is with ducks uh, and other migratory game birds, but we do do some small game work, squirrels, rabbits, things like that. Um, we also have a quail biologist in our program who's responsible for all the quail, um, you know, technical assistance for management statewide. And he works out of Tall Timbers, which is a pretty famous quail management plantation in North Florida. Um, so yeah, how I ended up in Florida, I, I mostly grew up in Ohio, but both of my parents are from North Florida. So as a kid, we would, we would travel down to Florida basically every Christmas. Um, so I grew up hunting in Florida with my dad and uncles and, and you know, his friends from growing up and just fell in love with it as a kid and always wanted to work down here. And <clears throat> so I, I went to college in Ohio at the university of Dayton, got my undergrad there Ended up at the University of Maryland to do my master's, did my master's uh, on sea ducks, actually. And about the same time that I was graduating, this position came open down here in Florida. And, you know, I always wanted to make it back. I was yeah, just loved the inshore flats fishing, pretty good duck hunting, 
You know, I think we rival Louisiana as the sportsman's paradise. There's, there's something to do year round. So I applied for that position and was fortunate enough to get it. Uh, so I've been in Florida now for a little over seven years working in the program, working with, you know, working with ducks and, and all the habitat issues that we have in Florida. Yeah, Florida is another one of those states where you can do the true cast and blast uh, during during duck season. Of course, you, there's all different versions of the cast and blast as we see nowadays, but the, the classic uh, the classic that we tended to think about, you associate with Louisiana, but then then also Florida can hold its own, as you said, in that regard. Yeah, right. Some of the other coastal states might chime in as well and say, hey, don't forget about us. And so <laughs> yeah. that's right. We'll, we'll share the love there. So you are right in that Florida, at the outset, you, you talked about how Florida does fly under the radar a little bit in terms of its importance for, for waterfowl populations, waterfowl hunters, and, and Ducks Unlimited is increasing some of the work that we are doing there. We have a biologist there in Florida now, regional biologist who's helping us with some of our conservation actions, and there's several notable examples of very, uh, very large conservation projects that have that have occurred here and, and that will occur in the future in Florida. So we're pretty excited about the partnerships that we're developing there. And, and so, yeah, this is actually timely in a number of respects, but Florida is no stranger to waterfowl, waterfowl hunting. I actually pulled a few st- statistics here prior to, to this recording. And when you look over the past, I don't know, 15 or so years, I think it's where I, when I got these numbers, Florida supports about on average 13,000 duck hunters each year. Uh, they harvest about 185,000 ducks each year. And then if you do the math on that, that means the average annual harvest per duck hunter is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 ducks you know, per, per hunter per year. So uh, not too shabby. And then when you look at the the composition of that harvest is where it gets pretty interesting. And I'm sure you're going to talk about this a little bit more, but at the at the top, and I suspect this is going to vary geographically within the state, you're looking at ringneck ducks and blue-winged teal kind of being up there at the top based on the harvest statistics that I was looking at. And you also have green-winged teal, lesser scop, wood ducks that kind of fall in line in that three, four, five ranking range. The other thing, Mark, that that I found interesting is you look at the composition farther down the, down the list and you have a fair number of black-bellied whistling ducks that are harvested every year, fulvous whistling ducks that are harvested, sea ducks that are harvested as well. So there is a great diversity of waterfowl that do come to the state of Florida, maybe not in gigantic numbers the way we see in some other locations, but it definitely gives you a lot to choose from. So uh, anything like, does that match with the way you think about and talk about waterfowl habitats, waterfowl hunting opportunities in Florida? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's no doubt ringnecks and blue-winged teal are, those are are, are you know our mainstays and in, in most places in Florida that's what you're going to find um, but there are some some other kind of special wetlands that I'm sure I'll talk about here at some point that um, just have tremendous diversity and, and and you know these are managed hunts where we've got check stations so we've got pretty good data on them and some of these hunts you know across the entire season one of these venues might average five ducks per hunter per day um, and you know Widgeon, pintails, gadwall, fulvous whistling ducks, black bellies, ringnecks, it just pretty much every species you can imagine get harvested at those sites. Um, and and to me, that was moving down here, that was the biggest shocker. You know, I, I, I didn't realize that there were some some places where that diversity is is just here year round. 
or well, here every year in the winter, you know. So Mark, I want to talk here pretty soon about the, an update from the early teal season. But before we do that, and it kind of goes in line with what you were just talking about there about some of the areas that we uh, that you have where you find a great interest in waterfowl hunting. Florida is probably one of those states where people don't have a great vision for where the waterfowl habitats are. What are those wetland types that support waterfowl? So at a at a pretty high level, and we can kind of come back to this in in a little more detail later on, but just to orient people before we start talking about a, an early season teal, uh, teal update, give people a 10,000 foot view of the important waterfowl habitats in Florida. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I think I'll start from the north part of the state and kind of work south real quick. So, you know, e- ecology wise, North Florida is very different from peninsular Florida. So North Florida is mostly forested wetlands, Deeper water floating, lead marsh, you know, a lot of water lily and, and spatter dock. And, and those areas mostly support wood ducks and ringnecks. Uh, there's not a ton of diversity up there. You will see other species, but for the most part, it's wood ducks and ringnecks. Um, then you start moving into peninsular Florida and you get quite a different variety of wetlands. Um, the big ones, St. John's River. It's one of the few rivers that flows north. And, and so I actually, my office starts in the headwaters of the St. John's River and it flows north from here. And, and when we've had a lot of summer rains, maybe a tropical system come through, uh, that whole floodplain will be, you know, two to three inches deep, shallow flooded. There's a lot of ranchers that run cows in that floodplain, so they keep the emergent vegetation trimmed pretty low. They also provide a little disturbance, so so there tends to be a lot of good seed-producing annual plants out there, and you know they'll they'll get munched on or drop out in time for the ducks to show up, and and that's a real famous system for all its teal. I mean, there's times there's just thousands of teal out there and in really big groups. It's hard to hunt because they move around a lot. Um, in the middle part of the state kind of central Florida, right in the middle of the peninsula. We've got our big basin lakes, the Kissimmee Chain of Lakes, down to Lake Okeechobee, real famous waterfowling areas. Most of the duck habitat there now is is actually driven by hydrilla. It's an exotic plant, but there's also been quite a quite a bit of research done on on how much energy it provides ducks. And it's it's in most cases, you know, it's it's well above native plants. So so our ducks in Florida definitely orient to hydrilla on those big basin lakes. And and you're gonna get a little more diversity there. Ringnecks and teal certainly, um, some other species mixed in. Lake Okeechobee, similar in that hydrilla drives a lot of duck use, but there's an you know, it there there is an extensive shallow water marsh that's part of that lake that will see some diversity. Um, a lot of blue wing teal as well. Is there anything else? Uh, any other areas? Those are kind of our you know big open range areas where you can just go and hunt seven days a week. Then we also have a few managed areas. So I work out of the TM Goodwin office. It's a waterfowl management area where we it's all moist soil management and shallow water impoundments. Uh, the only place that we really do that in Florida, it, it's one of these areas where you're, you'll start to get into a bunch of pintails and widgeon, um, a lot of whistling ducks. You know, on, on a on a good year when the habitat's really good, it, it, we'll carry a four duck per hunter average throughout the season. And then south of Lake Okeechobee, these are the areas that are, are really pretty special. The guys who manage TM Goodwin aren't going to like me saying this, but they're the stormwater treatment areas and, and they're just large filter marshes. They're usually about, 18 inches to maybe 36 inches deep. They're cells that are full of smurse plants. It's mostly Cara. Um, occasionally, you'll get some Nyad in there. 
but it's just topped out submersed plants. They're just managing those cells to do nothing more than take nutrients out of the water after it comes out of Lake Okeechobee before they send it down into the Everglades. And historically, those places, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll carry five duck per hunter averages throughout the season. You know, there'll be hunts where there's upwards of 50 or 60 widgeon harvested. Same with pintails. Just a tremendous diversity down there. Uh, and, and kind of in a good location because, you, you know, you've got the southeast coast with Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach, these highly urban areas that are densely populated. And, and it really gives those guys a, a local option where they can go and, and have some great duck shoots. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mark, there's, as you're talking and sort of referring to some of these stories, numerous stories within this within this larger picture of Florida waterfowl habitats, I'm just a number of thoughts are bouncing through my mind. And, and they're reminding me of various conversations I've had in the past. One of the things that you mentioned that that I was reminded of is the hydrilla issue. I actually got a call from a guy several years ago asking or notifying me of issues. I guess what it was, was declining duck numbers that they had seen on their club wherever it was they were hunting there in proximity to Lake Okeechobee. And I was kind of asking him a little bit more about it. And he began to tell me about the hydrilla situation and how it was, I guess, the state had launched some hydrilla control program because it is an incredibly noxious weed from a boating standpoint and, and it can create all sorts of problems. So most states actually try to get rid of it. But as I looked into it a little a bit more, I actually came came to realize what it was that you talked about, that it can provide good food resources for waterfowl in a variety of ways. And so I was like, well, you know, if there's a, if that's a primary f- source of food or a, a plays an important part in the food web for waterfowl in that area, and if there's a control program to kind of eradicate it or reduce its abundance, then yeah, you, you'd kind of expect there to be some, some effect there on waterfowl. Now, I'm not saying that was the sole reason that they were experiencing declining waterfowl numbers, but it was part of the story that we discussed in terms of food resources and what they were seeing in that regard. So that's an entire story in itself of the discussion that we can have and, and probably should have it at some point. The other one that you mentioned were the stormwater treatment areas and our chief operating officer, Nick Wiley, who used to work for the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, uh, was telling me about those, how they came about and then how sort of over time people realized how tremendous they can be for supporting waterfowl and supporting waterfowl hunters. And he was involved in some of the early efforts to to, um, to, I guess, open them up to waterfowl hunters. And so that's another story in itself that we can, uh, that we can pull into an episode here at some point. So that's, when you looked at the Florida landscape, waterfowl landscape from a 10,000 foot level, there's a, there's a lot to see down below and explore in more detail. And so I kind of interrupted you, interrupted you there. Are you, are there any other areas that we need to talk about or introduce? And then the other thing I wanted to ask is when people think about and hear about wetlands in Florida, the Everglades is typically what dominates the conversation or is one of those iconic images that pe- that comes to mind. How does it factor in terms of supporting waterfowl populations in Florida? Yeah, so I'll, real quick, I'll touch on a few, you know, additional areas. Um, so the coastal areas where we get a bunch of diving ducks, um, 
The Panhandle of Florida supports big numbers of redheads every winter. As you move down the West Coast, you start to get into more lesser scop habitat. Tampa Bay is a very popular lesser scop hunting area. And then the East Coast, across the state, you've got Merritt Island National Wildlife Refuge, which is mostly freshwater impoundments right on the coast. Again, it, it, it historically, it was, you know, the, the place to come see pintails in Florida. There's been some decline in pintail numbers, and we don't have to go into to all that. Um, but it's still extremely popular. Uh, they get a, a, a whole lot of divers on the Indian River Lagoon right outside of the the refuge. And then in those impoundments, they're still getting pretty good diversity, you know, teal, some other puddle ducks. Um, but that about covers all the, you know, major public land habitats in Florida and, and private land. Mostly you're talking about flooded pastures. Um, these improved pastures where guys are running cattle that just natural rainfall fall will put two to three inches of water on that landscape. And the response by ducks can be pretty good. Um, it, in fact, uh, it's, most of the good reports that I've heard about this early teal have been on flooded pastures and private land. And and then what about the Everglades? I mentioned it in terms of that being sort of the iconic images, the iconic image of Florida wetlands that people think of. How does it factor in terms of supporting waterfowl populations or does it? It it does. So the Everglades is is mostly dominated by it's a little darker water. It's dominated by fragrant water lily, some other emergent plants. So it's, it's, it's quality duck habitat, but I wouldn't say high quality duck habitat. Historically, there was a lot of ringnecks that would winter in the Everglades. And, and that's kind of what it was known for. It's ringneck shooting. I know you mentioned some of our harvest statistics earlier, and you probably noticed that ringnecks have, have declined almost 50% in, in the last five years in the amount that we've harvested. And so I know those guys in the Everglades are really feeling that they're just not seeing the ring ringnecks that they used to. Um, that habitat's pretty stable. It, it's still there. It still looks good. And I talk to a lot of duck hunters every year that are like, you know, it's, it's gorgeous out here. The duck's just aren't here. So it, it's important. Uh, unfortunately, with bring neck numbers kind of declining recently, you know, I, I think the hunting has declined a little down there. Uh, the amount of re- state resources and federal resources that go into that area, it, it should be it should stay high quality habitat for a long time. One of the other areas, I think you began to reference this, it, that supports um, supports a number of ducks is the some of the coastal bays there on, um, well, I think somewhere from Panama City to Cedar Key. I know that area in particular used to be part of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's annual redhead survey that they conducted. I think they stopped conducting that survey in 2012. But if you look back at that data set, I think Florida, those bays that were surveyed in Florida, on average supported somewhere around 75 to 100,000 redheads at midwinter each year. And I think in some years you could see a higher number. You still get a fair number of redheads in some of those bays there along that portion of the state? Yeah, we do. Pressure's kind of increased on quite a bit the last few years, but they're still there. That's actually what I grew up doing. You know, my folks lived in Panama City, so we would we would visit their their parents and, and siblings when I was a kid, and we'd often go out and hunt the bays around Panama City and, and have some good redhead shoots. Um, they're still there, but it's it's there's a lot of folks hunting them now. The word's gotten out about them. We probably spent a bit more time on a 10,000-foot level overview of waterfowl and waterfowl habitats of Florida than I imagined we would. That's because there's a lot of interesting things to talk about there. So let's move on now real quickly to, to give a 
an update on the opening season, uh, the, the opening weekend of the early teal season. And as part of this discussion, I want you to to talk about how this teal season is structured. It's different in Florida than it is in some of the states in, here in the Mississippi Flyway. Of course, there, there are different structures even within the Mississippi Flyway, but at least in Mississippi and uh, I think Arkansas and Louisiana, uh, the ones that I'm more familiar with here given where I've lived recently, I think it's a teal only. But in Florida, you actually have for the first part of the teal season the option of harvesting a couple of wood ducks associated with that, I believe. So talk a little about teal season structure in Florida. And then what did you hear for this opening weekend here this this past weekend? Yeah, so... I kind of mentioned earlier that in North Florida, habitat's a little different. It's it's mostly forested wetlands and some some deeper water marsh. Um, it's really good wood duck habitat. And we've got a lot of resident wood ducks in Florida that stay here and breed year breed here year round. Uh, so because of that, it, it was actually Diane Agaman. She worked with. There's a couple other states, Kentucky and Tennessee, that have early wood duck seasons as well um, to provide opportunity for those hunters in the north part of the state because they really don't get a lot of teal. They'll pass through and, and they occasionally have good teal hunts, but the bulk of their ducks up there this time of year are certainly wood ducks. Uh, so she worked with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to get this these uh, the first five days of the early teal season, you're allowed to harvest two wood ducks, which just gives those guys in North Florida especially an opportunity to get out and have some birds to chase around. So, uh, which I guess leads me into this this opener that we had this, this past Saturday. Um yeah, early early season in Florida is is typically spotty. Uh, you you hear a lot of good reports, you hear a lot of poor reports, and and that changes throughout the week. Teal teal really seem to move around a lot more this time of year, and you know, of course, a lot of them are just passing through on their way further south. So, I, I've heard quite a few good reports from private land, flooded pastures. We've had a lot of rain these last few weeks, and it seemed to distribute birds evenly across across a lot of these pastures. Um, so guys with private land seem to do fairly well. Some of our managed areas performed really well as well. One of the stormwater treatment areas, I think they had, uh, they had about a three duck per hunter average, which is, which is pretty good for early teal season. Uh, good win. We had a quite a few teal, a couple hundred, maybe even at close to a couple thousand teal on, on TM Goodwin here before about four days before the season started. And by the time Saturday rolled around, uh, numbers had plummeted. So we had a fairly poor opener. I heard mixed reports about Merritt Island. Kind of heard the same thing that happened there that happened here at Goodwin where they had quite a few birds. And for whatever reason, they seemed to just boogie out a few days before the season opened. And then the reports I've been hearing about wood ducks are are good. We've got pretty stable, you know, regional pockets of, of wood ducks throughout peninsular Florida. And, and then they're quite a bit more widespread as you get into North Florida. So a lot of guys tend to pass up, you know, going out to, to try and get six teal and just go shoot their two wood ducks in these first five days of the early season. Yeah. So that, that early teal season in Florida, I'm looking at, at your website here, September 18th through the, through the 26th, right? So you only get basically one week, just a little bit over a week for this teal season. Yep. It runs Saturday through the following Sunday. So, and that's, that's because of those five wood duck days. If we were to drop those five wood duck days, then we could have a 16 day early teal season 
like most other states. Okay. I would imagine that's what some of our listeners are wondering is, well, how can Florida and Kentucky and Tennessee have have wood ducks as part of the bag? And that was part of the, I guess, part of the negotiation is that, yeah, you can have this, but you have to drop, you have to give up a few days on the on the season. So there's your, your explanation there, if you were wondering. And then, of course, in Florida, blue-winged teal will continue to make up a significant portion of the harvest as you go into your regular duck season, which looks like it begins in late November. Uh, then I think you have about a week in late November and and then it, it um, picks back up in mid-December, somewhere approximately mid-December, and then runs through the end of January. But then blue-winged teal will be there throughout the end of January, right? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll see blue-winged teal on our management area down here, usually through April. Um, the last stragglers head north seems the end of, May, end of April. Sometimes even early May, we'll still see a few hanging around. Um, and then we'll start seeing them again, usually the second week of August. It's, it's pretty remarkable how much of the year that we see teal on our property here. And then what about green wings in terms of this early teal season? Did you see many of those in, in any hunter bags? I've not heard a whole lot of reports of those being harvested in some of the southern latitudes at this point. I know there have been some, but, uh, the, you know, they're usually not, well, they're not as early as the blue wings. But any reports of green wings from the harvest there in Florida? Not this year. I think in the eight years I've been here, the eight early teal seasons, I've seen one green wing come down or come out you know, in someone's bag, it, it's pretty rare for them to be down this early. We we typically don't start seeing them until early to mid-November. And then in terms of the remainder of this early teal season, which we're recording this, of course, on a, on a Tuesday following the opening of the teal season, you only have one more weekend of this early teal season. What's the weather looking like there? Any significant changes on the horizon? Anytime you're talking about a coastal state, you always have to be on the lookout for some big tropical event that's going to dump a lot of rain or bring a lot of wind or really just create all sorts of havoc. Any Anything in the horizon, hopefully nothing of a tropical storm variety, but any kind of weather coming to the state of Florida that would would change things up for teal and teal hunters? Yeah, nothing major. There there is quite a moisture quite a bit of moisture around right now, so you know, I anticipate some good afternoon thunderstorms for the next few days. And and, and that alone, I mean, some of these storms will drop to 2 to 3 inches in an hour. Uh, it's not unusual at all. So It'll redistribute birds. I mean, early season, even more so than regular season, it seems like just scout, scout, scout. You got to stay on top of the birds because they're moving around a lot. But I know some some decent weather is moving through up north, so hopefully that pushes more birds down. And Yeah, well, Mark, we have covered quite a bit of terrain here, so to speak, and, and we're, we're already at about the halfway mark or the 30-minute mark. And so I think probably what we'll do is rather than go back and revisit in any more detail any of the specific wildlife areas or national wildlife refuges or any of the other areas where waterfowl or uh, waterfowl habitats are managed, I think we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we'll save that other discussion for a bit later on where we can come back and talk talk about some of the work that, that that your agency does and some of the hunts, uh, hunt areas and, and um, hunt programs that you have in place. And so that'll give us a reason to connect back with you later on in, uh, in the season. Does that sound like a good plan? Yeah, that sounds great. And I, I would love to have a discussion about hydrilla and kind of some of the habitat management that we do, because that's, you know, that's really where I focus a lot of my efforts. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there and a lot of misunderstandings about, you know, what's actually going on with some of these lakes and some of the duck habitat. So I, I think that would be a, 
a really good discussion and I know it's one that a lot of duck hunters want to hear and be engaged with. So, so I would, I would love to get the opportunity to do that. Well, we will make that happen later this year, Mark. I appreciate your time and good luck to you and to the rest of the hunters here in this early teal season. You have a few more days remaining. And so hope you're able to, to get out there and take advantage of, uh, of a beautiful time of year. And when we start to get some of those first waves of ducks coming down and they remind us all of what, what lies ahead here as we get into October, November, and December, and then I guess into January as well. So, Mark, thank you so much. Thank you to your organization for giving you the time to, to join us here. And, uh, and yeah, thanks for all you do for Waterfowl in the state of Florida. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. This is what I love talking about. So, I'd be happy to come on anytime and talk about habitat. Special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Mark McBride with Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. We appreciate his time and expertise on waterfowl, waterfowl habitats in Florida. We also thank our producer, Chris Isaac, who does a great job with the podcast and getting them out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for joining us, for sharing your insights, sharing your comment, and we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DUPodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.